0: Um, it's a great honor to have been asked to um, speak a little uh, about isabel's new book um, and it was um a great pleasure although a strenuous pleasure reading <laughs> the book um, um, um it made me and uh, you know i think the the greatest and most important compliment is that it made me think inevitably making me think made me think with it and occasionally pushing back against it and and i think both of those moments will be present in uh, in what i have to say but it's an important book and it's an important book in two ways one because as cora said it's about a democracy what um, isabel calls the our democratic imaginary, and it's also an important book because it tells a big a big story is the wrong phrase it, it, it it's a big meditation on, the, on the, uh, the 19th century and in a sense on the relationship between literature and history in the 19th century. Well, a democracy now is. Uh, is a timely subject in ways that I think uh, not even Isabel could have imagined in in the time that she was writing the book. That comfortable moment um, when some proclaimed at the end of history um, had um, eventuated in the triumph of liberal democracy um, is no longer with us. Uh, The elections of the election of Trump, the um, a vindication of Brexit, um, might be a sort of a democracy, but it's not liberal democracy. Um, a Labour's a recent defeat um, has been lauded by some as a triumph, but more important, I think, uh, perhaps, and more inspiring. Um, are the sort of popular and inclusive responses to events such as the uh, Grenfell fire by a uh, people removed from politics. So I think this is all the more important when one p- places that, uh, uh, the response to the fire against what uh, Isabel rightly calls a stylish pessimism about uh, democracy that she associates with the work and writings of Agamben and that So, um, uh, Isabel traces the uh, he democratic uh, imaginary, and um, illegitimacy is central uh, to this in her in her thinking in nineteenth-century fiction and print culture more broadly. Illegitimacy, as she puts it, is an infringement of the social order and an attack on it, again uh, for the reasons that uh, Cora gave I'll quote um, Isabel uh, the, the law of exclusion, she writes engaged by the democratic imagination occurs in this narratologically embodied way a purposive imagining of the constructed fragility of social forms and how they could be otherwise illegitimacy throws social forms into question so, if the theme of democracy is um, in, in an antagonistic dialogue with Agamben and others, this reading of nineteenth-century fiction is in a much more respectful, but um, a much more respectful dialogue um, with other critics, and in particular with Catherine Gallagher's *The Industrial Reformation of English Fiction*. And in this, Isabel recovers, I think, um, a large story, a large meaning for 19th century fiction, one which is much needed in the wake of the collapse of Marxist and non-Marxist stories about class as the paradigm for reading the 19th century. And um, a novel, Politics, sets out to contest the conservative readings of 19th century fiction um, of Catherine Gallagher and others that are concerned with family in these novels is not as conservative and as limiting and, and, uh, um, as, as we've been led to believe it promotes a focus on ideas of genealogy as critique and not as consolidation. And here I'd just like to enter a personal note for years before I was taken away to save the world from anti-Semitism. Um, um, I, I taught a class on, on liberalism And indeed, um, in in a gesture to interdisciplinarity, I taught Felix Holt. And now I realise, having read novel politics, I got it wrong. And, And whereas... Cora's students are now professors of English. Mine are just going around with this misinterpretation of Felix Holt <laughs> in their mind, because I I taught it for the politics, and I'm now absolutely convinced by Isabel's um, a, a account that it really was the um, the um, inheritance plot, uh, at the Transom plot, which is at the core. So it's. A, it's it's a, tr- it, it's a contrite as well as as you'll hear a carping historian that you have before you. Um, so to make her argument, uh, Isabel promotes a relationship um, of the novel to the world it enters Uh, it engages with the relationship between literature and history and it it stems from Isabel's uh, dissatisfaction with readings that are in inverted commas grounded in history and, uh, and the frustration with the reach of history to define literature as for example it does in the social problem novel she wants something other than Um, a reductive and circumscribed reading of the novel. Um, But I think um, Isabel sometimes speaks with more than one voice here in the the book. Uh, Sometimes we have a preference for the text over the context, for the tale, not the teller. Which of course means for the critic, not for the historian. Um, But at the same time, as there is a critique of this sort of historicism, and and in that sense, and a rejection of history, um, there's also a plea for a better sort of history, one that does not mask the variety and intensity of Victorian thought, as Isabel puts it, an emphasis on a context of active and highly contentious debate rather than a normative politics. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, do we need more history, contentious debate, or less history? Um, I'm an emphasis on the tale and not the teller for the Transom plot, rather than for the politics of Felix Holt, informed by Eliot's article in Blackwood's magazine, which I so wrongly stress. <laughs> um, well, um, let me say a bit more about what history can and can't do um, which will uh, involve uh, a method uh, which is different and more dull than Isabel's and perhaps an ideological direction um, at the end which is also different. So uh, illegitimacy is at the heart of the book and, and illegitimacy and the poor law is sometimes present in it and I just want to take a quick look at bastardy and the law. Um, For um, the way in which illegitimacy works, um, the um, bastard, the illegitimate child, is seen as, um, in in Agamben's terms, um, in a state of exception, a subject of bare life. And, um, and certainly that's partly true, but, but I'm going to suggest it's, it's partly not so. Certainly a bastard child, as Blackstone's, the 18th century jurist wrote, hath no father. But Blackstone was referring to the rights of inheritance. Illegitimate children were not quite outcast. They were children of the parish. So they did belong, and they had an entitlement. Um, uh, their cost, uh, the cost of keeping them alive was borne by the parish which was then to be recouped from the child's father if he could be found. But if the father couldn't be found, the parish was supposed to bear that cost itself. So, what ha- so in, in the early 1830s, the Poor Law Commission sought to overturn this, um, against a backdrop of rising um, illegitimacy and um, a Malthusian fear of a growing underclass of unmarried mothers. The poor law commissioners said that the old poor law encouraged bastardy. They wrote, it was of the opinion of the most experienced parochial officers that from ignorance and willful perjury combined, nine bastards in ten are falsely sworn in towns. So bastard, uh, there was a premium on bastardy. The mothers got paid and they lied about who the father was to get the money. Um, so the law indu- it was, it induced both sexual incontinence and perjury. So things changed in 1834. Women were required to produce evidence in support of their claim of paternity, other than their own testimony. uh, The uh, the veracity of the mother's oath was immediately placed under suspicion. And the mother was now bound to maintain her child. She retained a right to poor relief, but it was likely to be in the workhouse. Well, this actually looks a bit like a state of exception. Um, certainly moving closer to it than the earlier 18th century uh, situation but the 1834 law produced widespread anger from magistrates, from parochial officials and from the population at large Uh, the vestry at Sowerby in the West Rising wrote the bastardy clauses of the new poor law give inducement to seduction and and infanticide are degrading and unjust to the female, and if not repealed, ultimately, tend to fill this land with an illegitimate race. So in 1844, the 1834 law was largely overturned, and paternal financial responsibility was reinstated. Unmarried mothers were given the right, independent of the parish, to apply for an order against the putative father for maintenance and support of the illegitimate child. Um, so the 1844 Act returned marked a return to the principles of paternal responsibility, and fathers who refused to pay were liable to have their goods and chattels recovered by distress or, if that was not enough, to spend three months in prison. So if we have an image of bastardy as a state of exclusion, that actually is, in a sense, more literary and less <coughs> historical than uh, we might have thought and uh, so that's uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, as well as there was one point I'd like to make the second point is that um, where does this change come from well it comes from as it were a political nexus which is not much discussed we have a democracy on the one hand we have conservatism on the other but this reform is a result of, um, of liberalism and of, if not democracy, of a system of representative government. Now, liberalism and representative government, I think, are ambiguous and Janus face certainly has an ambiguous legacy, but um, I think um, it, 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 um, it suggests um, a face of the 19th century that also needs to be recovered um, but i think so um in conclusion I, I i just want to thank isabel for taking me back to uh, to this material um it's a it's a, it's a measure um albeit a personal one of the value of her book that um It strengthens my resolve to um, come back to the 19th century and to teach and write about it. And and when I do so, novel politics will be a central and um, inescapable source of inspiration.